Hello, this is Nick Holland with Information Security Media Group. And today I am speaking with Jack Coons, who is the Chief Cybersecurity Strategist at Unisys. So Jack, welcome, thanks for joining us. Thanks Nick, glad to be here. So we had a fascinating discussion last week in New York. Um, last Tuesday we met at Gallagher's Steakhouse for just you, me, and probably 20 or so other cybersecurity uh, professionals to discuss Zero Trust. So the title was Unpacking Zero Trust, Balancing Security and Profitability. So, I mean, one of the things we discussed was how prolific Zero Trust has become as kind of a buzz phrase for this year. And there's a lot of, I guess, noise, but we may be lacking on signal as to what it really means. So um, just for the sake of our audience, could you clarify in, from your own standpoint what you think Zero Trust means and then obviously what it doesn't mean? Okay. Yeah, well, that's a lot, right? So as you said, uh, signal to noise, it's all about the signal to noise. So for the listeners out there that had an opportunity to attend, you know, the largest social media gathering of all of, what, 60,000 of our closest security associates at RSA, uh, it was one of, if not the buzzword, you know, one of the top three buzzwords of RSA this past year, um, this concept of, so, of, of zero trust. And so, Nick, I think you uh, rightfully so hit it right on the head when we kind of have to unpack what that means, because it depends, right? The lens by which you approach this problem set of cybersecurity, um, especially when it comes to zero trust, really depends on where you sit. And I think what was really interesting um, by the way you asked questions at the dinner uh, you know, we had a, a rather diverse crowd, but it slanted heavy towards the fintech community. But even within the financial or fintech community, financial technology, financial security community, even they had kind of a difference of opinion on what it means. And so some of the things, some of the common themes that came out of that was, you know, risk. You know, what is your risk appetite, right? Because if you literally take the definition of zero trust, which means on its face, I trust nothing, right? Obviously, in the world of cybersecurity, you can't just simply lock down a network to the point where you've stopped the supported business model, right? Security doesn't exist in and of itself. It's there to support the underlying business model. Indeed, security done right is actually meant to enhance and speed the business model. Now that sets up a dynamic tension, but again, getting back to what is zero trust, in the world of, say, for example, my, my current employer, Unisys Corporation, you know, we work globally with any number of business units. They could be national security, they could be government, they could be small mom and pop organizations, um, financial information, nuclear secrets, you know, the, the whole gamut of the who's who in the cyber zoo. So somebody that's protecting or entrusted with national security secrets, zero trust is going to mean something different to them than, say, somebody who's running a coffee shop, right? Obviously, security is important to both of them, but the amount of risk appetite is going to be very different. The amount of expenditure available to each of those entities is going to be different. Right. So if we back up there for a minute and unpack uh, your original question, you know, what is zero trust? What does it mean to me? I have to go back to my 
my background, you know, so as a 25-year retired cyber warfare officer, you know, in the world of DOD, we had this concept back in the late 90s, early 2000s of, of, of trust zones, right? And that was based on this early understanding of the weaponization and utilization of cyberspace as a maneuver warfare domain, right? Not something that your typical business unit would understand, although today everyone understands that the Internet has become a fully contested environment. But back in the day, you know, 20 years ago, we were still coming to grips with how to operationalize this new domain as a means of exploitation. One of the things that became very apparent to us is that we were very quickly going to run out of free space that could be trusted. The uh, kind of tragedy of the commons, if you will, you know, kind of like we see with the seafaring domain. You know, once your ship leaves safe harbor, it's out in the ocean. Once it's out in the ocean, it is responsible for its own defense until it gets to the next safe harbor. Well, that's kind of the same way we need to approach network security. But how do you do that? So this notion of trust zones really started to kind of get going back then. But it was kind of, you know, kind of kept to the folks within DOD. Then along comes a guy named, as most people are probably aware of, John Kinderweg, who was at the time a VP and a senior researcher over at uh, Forrester Research. And he kind of really kind of got to grips with the commercialization and operization, if you will, of what he now referred to as zero trust, the zero trust architectural model. And, and really what that means is it was, if you think about it like this, an understanding that your data is going to leave the safety of on-premises where you can kind of keep close hold on it and you're going to let that data go wherever it needs to go to on your existing infrastructure and co-opting commercial infrastructure to transit some very scary places to get to where it has to go, whether another business unit or an end user. So zero trust really became a way of looking at that holistic presentation of the architecture in such a way that the data had to be responsible for its own security because you simply couldn't trust the underlying infrastructure that it was going to transit on with the understanding that you had to go on, you had to use it, right? So that's it in a nutshell, and I'm happy to unpack it further, but I want to pause there, you know, to see what kind of direction you want to go with this. One of the things that was telling was that a lot of the financial institutions in the room, I mean, again, a lot of fintech companies representing given the, the new york location one of the things that was fascinating we, we asked them to sort of score where they saw themselves in terms of their zero trust stance at this point in time and almost all of the room i mean i think that the average score was maybe three three and a half out of ten which was very telling and i think that what was interesting was some saw themselves as completely unsafe in that they trusted too much but the others saw themselves as being maybe just way too draconian. And we're back to this idea of zero trust, not meaning slamming the brakes on the entire time, because that means, you know, zero trust actually means in that context, zero business. And one of the things I liked was your analogy of, of driving a car around a racetrack and, and really that balance between power and braking. So, I mean, could you elaborate on that a little bit? I thought that, that was pretty indicative of where I think things stood. Sure. Sure. So, uh, you know, as, as many people, many of the listeners are probably going to understand translating cyber speak network security to the C-suite level folks kind of gets lost in that what we refer to as the dolphin speak, right, where where all they're hearing is a lot of high pitched chirping. They're not really understanding uh, the concepts in terms that they would be able to use at a, at a boardroom uh, for the non-technical people. So 
one of the ways that I convey this message is the use of the car analogy. And so I'll ask a group of people I did at the dinner, you know, what is the most powerful system in a car? You know, I'm a I'm a European car guy. I love Porsches, BMWs, uh, you know, the Italian exotics. I love those kind of cars. Most people spend most of their time, obviously, once you get past the, the sheer beauty of the car, but the actual engine, right? Everyone talks about the power, the horsepower and the torque produced by the engine. So when you ask people, you know, what's the most powerful system in the car? Most people typically gravitate towards the engine. Uh, a couple of people who try to get sexy with me will say, oh, it's the it's the driver. Well, yes, you know, and, you know, that gets a couple of chuckles, but what people fail to realize is that in order for a Porsche to go and or for a Porsche to go as fast as it does. So, for example, 217 miles an hour. Right. It's going to produce 700 horsepower. It's going to have twin turbos, uh, twin turbos, V6s in there. Uh, but but that's not really what allows it to go that fast. What allows it to go that fast uh, goes that fast are, are the brakes. Right. So, in effect, the brakes are the most powerful system in a system of systems of which most people think it's the engine. It's not, it's the brakes. The brakes are what allow the driver to overcome the torque, the inertia, the momentum, and the sheer horsepower of a 700 horsepower engine going 200 plus miles an hour. Because when it hits a corner, when it hits a piece of dark part of the road, or when it starts to feel like it's getting out of control, by simply tapping on the brakes, you're overcoming all of that, right? And so that's really the whole conversation about zero trust, right? Security needs to move away from this concept of being the naysayers, the people that slow down an organization. And so by having a conversation around zero trust, but doing it in such a way that zero trust becomes analogous to the brakes in a car, zero trust actually becomes the very component of a network architecture presentation, which allows that business to have speed to market and speed to security, which means you can reach out and touch places that used to be scary, contested, uh, expensive, or previously off limits for all of the reasons that I just mentioned or some other ones, right? Um, and so, so, but the, but the conversation keeps coming back to, so, so how do you do that, right? So what, what happens? And so the FinTech people, as you mentioned, Nick, you know, they came into the room and there's probably short of national security officials, there's probably no other group of people, there's no other cohort more concerned with network security or in a already predisposed zero trust mentality than the financial technology people, right? By their very nature, they are charged with basically running the entire financial institution, especially since we were there in New York City. This was a veritable who's who in the zoo of the New York financial sector, right? These people run the financial backbone of this country. There's no group of people short of, like I said, the national security are actually having some mafia folks come in that are just not gonna trust you the minute they walk in the door. But yet even that group was challenged to define zero trust and articulate what it means for them and more importantly, how they're trying to embrace it. So really what we had in that room was about 20 to 23 people who are very curious. They have this itch that they really wanna scratch, which means they know that they want it. They know that they need it. They just don't know how to define it or to deploy it, right? And that's right. the easy part of the conversation. The hard part, the, the graduate level calculus becomes how do you how do you not just deploy it, but employ it, right? How do you turn it into a supporting unit, supporting mechanism and enabler of the business model? The takeaway for me overall, and based on not just your input, but the overall discussion was that, again, it's about finding that Goldilocks zone between security and business 
effectivity. I mean, you, there's no capacity for completely draconian shutdown. And yet you can't, again, obviously have a, a situation, given the current environment of third party risk, you know, IoT, 5G coming in, um, you know, this, this idea of a perimeterless landscape. Um, there has to be a security posture that is aligned with the way that things are going. So, uh, you know, if I could just jump in real quick there, you know, what, notice one of the things that we haven't even talked about yet, we haven't even brought up yet, is what is it? You know, this it that we keep talking about, the actual phrase zero trust, right? You know, one of the things you and I went back and forth on with the group at the dinner, which I thought was really telling, was what is it? Is it is it a, is it a tool? Is it a is it a capability? Is zero trust a you know a philosophy about the way you approach network security? Mm -hmm. um, is it just simply a philosophical journey with no endpoint, right? Or is it yes, all of the above? And I think which was was so interesting to me is that you know we got some chuckles in the room because it seems to me there's no shortage of vendors out there who are willing to say, I have zero trust in a box. You know, if you buy this you now have zero trust, right? And I think you I think you mentioned that you were at RSA this year as well. Um, right. There were a lot of vendors that blatantly put that out there. Hey, buy this and you've got zero trust. Now, if we talk about John Kindervag, right? So Kindervag, when he left Forrester, he was hired by a company named Palo Alto. And everybody knows Palo Alto is a, well, started out as a firewall company. They've now moved into next generation firewalls. And now they are a next generation security company. So there's been this maturation and evolution, if you will, of Palo Alto. They're a strategic partner of ours, right? So I know them well, we work with them well. They've got some great things going on out there. But it's interesting that when you hear John Kindervag, who is now the field CTO, chief technology officer for Palo Alto, when he talks about zero trust, it's with, uh, what's the old saying? I, I, I stand where I sit, right? So John's take on Palo Alto is going to be flavored towards a lens that is supportive of a Palo Alto business model. And that's great. But what if I don't use Palo Alto products, right? And so that's really what I was trying to get out at the dinner, right? What if I'm, you know, to me, you know, this is Jack speaking now, right? To me, zero trust is not simply a capability, right? So when Kindervag talks about Palo Alto, he's talking about really layer four through layer seven of the OSI model, right? Mm. And, and, and the way that those rules work, right? That those handshakes of data transmission and information exchange work. That's what he's talking about. Now contrast that with the way Forrester today talks about zero trust, right? Where they talk about an ecosystem of capabilities, each bringing to bear a, a, a nuanced approach, but yet a component, if you will, of the larger zero trust conversation, right? Now contrast that with the way Gartner Research talks about zero trust. Well, they don't. They refer to software-defined perimeters and some other things because you, as you mentioned, Nick, when we start moving into this, well, we're already in it, the post-perimeter world, we start moving into a truly world of IoT where we've monetized and operationalized 5G and the Internet of Things where literally everything has its own address. Well, the old ways of network security are simply going to break down. One, the hardware is not going to be able to keep up and the sheer scale of the deployment and the telemetry moving back and forth is going to be such that our current way and approach of thinking is just not going to work. 
But this is where zero trust comes in because now for the first time, we truly will have a global worldwide canvas for data to move across. And guess what? No one entity is going to control anything. So you are literally letting your most precious information, your data packets loose on a contested environment where you literally cannot trust what it's riding on. So that becomes the really interesting question, right? So with that in mind, to me, the way Jack thinks about it, zero trust is a never ending conversation. It's more a philosophy. It's more a way of approaching the way you present your information and your data to the larger global commons that is the cyberspace domain, right? And now yeah. not to geek out too hard, but we're really going back to Bill, you know, uh, Gibson and his book Neuromancer and you know the real concepts of cyberspace and neuromancer, you know, all of that stuff is really starting to come to fruition. Um, it's a really exciting time, but again, don't want to geek out too hard. Now, this is the moment where I, where I'm hoping you're going to squeeze that button and shot collar me and, and kind of, you know. Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, that, that, that is, you know, again, in, in our ability currently to describe zero trust, I think that that's about as maybe as good as we're going to get that it is a philosophy. I, I kind of see it as, I think one, one of the things that, again, we, we discussed uh, last week was, it is subjective. It is what you want it to be. It's, you know, I think that an analogy might be kind of, you know, the blind men describing an elephant, or whatever. So it's you don't really have a, a full picture of what it is. It's based on your own perspective and your own remit and your own security stance and your organization's uh, appetite for risk. To be clear and to be fair, there are some very early attempts to define this space. So we we saw uh, one of the gentlemen, I, I had a chuckle when he did it. You know, it, it's always interesting when you're giving a talk or presentation, uh, when individuals walk in, literally pull out reference standard models out of their backpack that, right. you know, it's like 100 pages. And he said, I just read this before I walked in. And, I, and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get killed on questions here. But, you know, National Institute of Standards, right? So NIST just came out with what they look at as the, you know, governmental approach towards best practices in this new world of a zero trust architecture. Um, the CIO for the federal government just recently, what, yesterday or today came out with some guidance and said the U.S. federal government is moving towards zero trust. And here's how we're defining zero trust. And so you're going to see vendors lining up to support that vision. And to me, that's another interesting aspect, which we didn't really unpack at the dinner because we only had a couple hours. But what I see starting to happen is depending on the industry that you're trying to work towards or support, that's how you're going to define zero trust and more importantly, how you're going to build capabilities. So, for example, if my primary supported element is the U.S. federal government, well, how do they define it? If I can help them in that conversation, great. And more importantly, I'm going to align my capability development to support those goals. Um, if mine is the financial sector, they're going to look something like that, right? And so I don't want to say we're going to have this balkanization of zero trust, but back to your original point, zero trust is really truly going to mean different things to different people based on resources, customer base, uh, business support a business model, and risk appetite. Well, it, again, like I say, when we, we, we scratched the surface last week, it was one of the quickest two and a half hours of conversation I've had. And then um, certainly, again, I think we've, we've got a lot more to, to unpack on this, as you say. So, I mean, Jack's been a pleasure speaking with you. That's Jack Coons, who is the Chief Cybersecurity Strategist at Unisys. And for Information Security Media Group, I'm Nick Holland.